You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 16. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And if you've been with us, you know, um, others of you, let me just catch you up. Jesus has kind of transitioned here in his ministry from ministry directly to the crowds that were uh, without Christ to the disciples who had been following him for three and a half years. He is in the final uh, stages of his life before going to the cross And he's giving specific instruction to disciples and how we not only have faith in Christ now, but how we continue to grow in our faith in Christ for the sake of continued faith. In fact, just last week, he said, I want you to hear these things so that you don't fall away. And there is a danger in a world of difficulty, a world that is against Christ a world where it is not popular to follow Jesus, there is a danger of turning back. And Jesus is warning, don't turn back. And in order for that to be true, I want to give you some things that you should know, that you should believe, that you should practice in your life. And this is where Jesus begins to speak to his disciples. It is a farewell speech, so to speak. There's a fear in the heart of the disciples of being alone. They don't want to be by themselves. They've been with Jesus all of this time, and yet now they're facing the very real fact that they're going to be walking perhaps alone. It's a fear that each of us have as Christians, isn't it? The fear of being alone. Sometimes that fear lasts for a few moments, or you just have this fleeting thought. Other times it lasts for a season. Sometimes the battle that rages in our hearts against this feeling of loneliness has to be fought in truth and in the power of God's Spirit in such a way that we are fighting for our very faith sometimes, it seems. I was privileged this past Friday to visit with Miss Wanda Bird. Uh, Some of you may know that Miss Wanda cares for uh, her mother on a weekly basis. And uh, so I was able to visit with her in the hospital this past week. Uh, For those of you that don't know, uh, she was on uh, Thursday caring for her mother, as she normally does, providing meals and those kinds of things. And as she was preparing a meal, uh, she went to step over the dog, and about the same time that she got one foot over the dog, the dog decided to stand up. Uh, 
And when the dog stood up, Miss Wanda fell down and broke her hip in three different places. Uh, she broke, uh, there's a buckle fracture in her wrist. Um, and I sat with her as she told this story there at the hospital. And she began to tell me of those 20 minutes that she sat wondering what in the world she was going to do because she was all alone. Who was going to come and help her? And the pain, unbearable, the tears just flowing, not knowing what to do. And so she, as a woman of faith, began to pray. And as she began to pray, she felt something cool on her leg. See, when she fell, she had no idea where in the world her cell phone was. But in that moment, God gave her enough sensation to remember that her cell phone was there in her pocket. And God came to her rescue and she was able to call for help. Can I say to you this morning that just as much as her tears began to flow and her praising God that she was not alone, that you are not alone this morning, that God is with you in whatever difficulty you may be facing. The question is, how? The message of Jesus to the disciples and the message of Jesus to us this morning is that Jesus is, in fact, with us in the person and work of his Holy Spirit. So I want us to go to this passage of Scripture this morning and see what it means for God to be with us. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we look to John Chapter 16, <clears throat> verses 4 and following. The middle of verse 4, actually, the Bible says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that you would help us as we come to your word to understand what is perhaps one of the weakest points of our faith as Southern Baptists. That you would help us to see the truth of your word and how 
your Holy Spirit works in our lives. I pray that you would divide your truth rightly, even as it is preached, both to our hearing and to our believing, that our hearts would be open to receive what you teach us and that you would quench any spirit of fear that is in us of being alone because we know that you are here. We just sang a a song about you being welcome here and you You in reality and in truth need no welcome. You are ever present in all places. And so this morning we submit to you, Holy Spirit, as you teach us. And so I pray that you would encourage believers in this room. And that even as there may be some here this morning who do not know Christ. That Holy Spirit, you would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment and truth, and that you would save the lost. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Here is my message to you this morning, the main truth of this passage. God manifests His presence and exercises His care in the church through the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. God manifests His presence and exercises His care in the church through the continuing work of His Holy Spirit. Listen, God is with you, believer. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Nor will He ever. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you have repented of your sins and put all of your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, know this, you have been indwelt by God's Holy Spirit and He remains in you both to seal and to secure your salvation and to continue to sanctify you as you follow Jesus. And Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And the church... Not just individual believers, but we as the gathered body know this, that the Holy Spirit is among us, that He is in His people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, universally, yes, but Southwide Baptist Church, God's Holy Spirit is here. His presence is with us. He is empowering us as we worship. He is empowering us as we serve and care for one another. As we do the work of the ministry, as we pray for one another, as we meet needs, as we do the work of evangelism and share the gospel with those around us, know this, that the Holy Spirit of God is empowering us for the sake of God's kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth. God is here. This truth... Namely, that God manifests His presence and exercises His care in the church through the continuing work of His Holy Spirit. That truth is not new. You may recall, if you were here four weeks ago for Father's Day, that that is the very truth that we looked at in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. And there I told you that the key 
to the text, remembering the text was Jesus' words, I will not leave you as orphans. You'll not be abandoned. You'll not be alone. You will not be without care. You will have a a father and that father's care will be manifested or carried out through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how we are never left alone and how God continues to care for his people through his spirit. This has been framed in a couple of different ways. This text here in John, really these three chapters. Some would see this particular text as part of a two part message of Jesus. The one that we looked at a few weeks back and this one. Part one being about the promise or the coming of the Holy Spirit. And part two being about the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, even as you look at these two passages, you'll find that the work of the Holy Spirit is described in both passages. And the promise language, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that's rehearsed again here in our text this morning. Another way to perhaps divide the text would be into five sections all surrounding this word helper or in the Greek paraclete. The title that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit here in the passage. And there would be five paragraphs or five statements. The coming of the Holy Spirit in John 14. The interpreting role of how the Spirit would interpret all that Jesus had said there in John chapter 14 as well. And John chapter 15, how the Holy Spirit works in the midst of persecution. The work of the Holy Spirit as a counselor and a judge here in chapter 16. The work of the Holy Spirit as a guide to believers also in chapter 16. The only question is, if that's the outline, why is it divided then into two sections? Let me submit to you that perhaps the most natural reading, and I think Jesus' intent as he's teaching here, is to just simply take the plain reading of the text. Jesus, from the beginning of John chapter 14, has continued to rehearse the same message. I'm leaving, but you're not alone. I'm going away, but you're not alone. I'm coming again, and you're not alone. You're going to face persecution, and you're not alone. It's the same message again and again. And the instruction demands both warning and encouragement. The warning that they would face persecution, but then that even in the midst of the persecution, they would not be alone. And this is the reason to again bring up this teaching on the Holy Spirit. So you'll notice it there. Chapter 15, verse 18, he begins to introduce the idea of persecution. The world hates you. Know that it's hated me before it hated you. You'll not just encounter some kind of Pain, the world's going to hate you because of me, according to Jesus. This is what he says. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We will endure persecution. And then chapter 16, he tells them again, verse 2, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. The hour is coming that whoever kills you, will think they're doing it in the name of God. 
This is the plight of the early disciples, and no doubt this has been the plight of many since that time, if not dying for their faith, at least suffering on behalf of Christ. And Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. There's something about Jesus being there, protecting them, instructing them constantly that did not require him saying these things to them. Verse five says, now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. So there it is again. The same sorrow at the beginning of John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. The same sorrow has filled their heart. So much so that it's consuming them. Remember, they've asked multiple times, where are you going? How can I get there? What now? Not this time. This time they are consumed by what they will face. And Jesus says, I need to say some things to you, but know this. Even though you're not ready for them yet, they will be said and they will be said by the one who is coming, the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in direct response to the troubled hearts who have responded to the pain that they will face and the fear of being alone. And he says, I will be with you and I will care for you and it will be through my spirit. He even says, interestingly, that it's better that I leave so he can come. There's something about The Spirit of God being among the people of God that is even, in a sense, better than Jesus remaining physically. There's something greater that God is doing by His Holy Spirit among His people for years to come that must take place. He says it's to your advantage. And by the way, that is an amazing thing. That God is sovereignly caring for His people and sustaining His people by His presence through all of redemptive history because there is one who is here among us, the Holy Spirit of God. So then what is the work of the Holy Spirit? The same question that I asked you four weeks ago. As I shared with you then, There's a lot of confusion today about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And by extension, in the lives of individual believers. So much so that the church has largely muddied the waters when it comes to our understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And our response has sadly been one of two things. Either one, we sensationalize what the Scriptures do teach and we run off on some wild doctrine that Jesus never intended that is largely subjective and experiential. 
Or two, on the other hand, we ignore the teaching of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We can't talk about that. That's the crazy stuff. That's the church down the street, not us. But if we're careful, we must understand that the Bible teaches on these things. I want to say to you this morning that in Baptist life, we tend toward the latter rather than the former. We tend to ignore the teaching of the Holy Spirit because it feels too dangerous and too mysterious and too difficult to understand. Some have said that in the Baptist church, the Holy Spirit has become the forgotten third person of the Trinity. By the way, I want to say to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a him. It is a he. The third person. He is divine and He is personal. And we don't have to be Pentecostal to believe that. You know that, right? We we just got to be biblical. Sadly, it has been said of the worship of many Baptist churches, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, many of our churches would never know the difference. Now, perhaps some come to that conclusion because of some sort of emotionless worship. And I would say to you this morning that our worship should be full of joy and sometimes full of remorse. There should be a myriad of emotion in our worship as we respond to the truth of God's word. But emotion never drives our worship. God forbid that if the Holy Spirit were to leave Southwide Baptist Church, that we never notice. May we say with David, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or death, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. May this be our plea. God, I don't want to go anywhere apart from the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, I want to abide in Christ and the only way I know to do that is that the Holy Spirit fill me and lead me and convict me and empower me every day. I need your Spirit. God, where shall I go from your Spirit? May this be our prayer. May we long for that daily abiding in John chapter 15 as we walk in step with His Spirit. May He be our paraclete, our helper. Because He is with us. The question is, then what is He doing? And I want to say a couple of things to you just by way of caution before we look specifically at what Jesus says the Spirit is doing. Number one, the the work of the Holy Spirit is mysterious and it is experiential. There is something about the Spirit moving us to obedience. The Spirit bringing comfort and encouragement. The Spirit bringing conviction in sin. There's something about that that is mysterious. That we can't quite explain. And that we do really experience in our lives. We can't quite put our finger on it, but we know that it's there as 
believers. Why do I say that? Well, various texts in the Bible imply that. John chapter 3, we've already seen that. Jesus references the Holy Spirit like the wind. You don't see where the wind goes. You don't see where it's coming from. It just happens and you see what comes of the wind, but you don't see it moving. In much the same way, the Spirit is mysterious. Romans chapter 8. We all love this verse when we pray and we don't even know what to pray anymore. The Spirit utters groanings on our behalf that are too deep for words. Something mysterious. Acts, the story of the church. The Spirit speaks to the church. The Spirit leads the church. There's no real description on what that looks like. It just happens. Or one that we don't like to talk about, 1 Corinthians 14. And people begin to speak in tongues and the Spirit gives interpretation. It's never happened to me. It's not something that's required for salvation, but it clearly happened in the New Testament. And it's mysterious and experiential. That is true. But secondly, let me give you this caution. The work of the Spirit is, and I want to insert the word always here, the work of the Spirit is always objective and truthful. The the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit, He does not bow the knee to my feelings. He does not bow the knee to what I think He should do. Just because I have some emotional experience that tears flow and everything else does not mean that the Spirit of God has moved. That Holy Spirit of God, this third person of the Trinity, moves with His anchor in His own Word. And that is objective. It doesn't change. I don't set the parameters. He sets the parameters. You might write this down. The Holy Spirit will always work according to God's Word and not according to our whims. Always work according to God's Word and not according to our whims. And so we must go to His Word and ask Jesus, Jesus, how does Your Holy Spirit work in the world? And if, if we understand this, it is arresting. It changes everything. So, there are four ways that are mentioned here in the passage. Let's see if we can dig these out a little bit at a time. Notice with me in verse 8. <coughs> Particularly, again, remember that this is in the context of persecution. What does the Holy Spirit do in response to fearful, lonely believers in the world of persecution, how does the Holy Spirit work? Look at verse 8. It says that when He comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world. So there's a role. That's His function. He convicts. He convicts. That's a work, and that's carried out. That work is carried out in three ways. Three different ways. Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so here's the word world again, right? 
We've already talked about this word and how it's used in John. John 15, remember the use of the word world. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. It's a system, a whole worldview, a whole system of of government and of, of society and culture and values and worship that is anti-God, that is against God, that is hostile toward God and the people that are a part of this system. That's the world that John is talking about. It's the same world in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world. It's the same world in John chapter 1. The world rejected Jesus when He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. It is this picture of a world without God. And what John says, what Jesus says to us here, is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world in three ways. In sin, righteousness, and judgment. And by the way, the word convict is this word that means this, this bringing to light or showing, making clear, revealing something that is plainly obvious, that is irrefutable, based on evidence and clear guilt. So the Spirit convicts, reveals sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then in verse 9 through 11, you see explanations of those three things. So let's just take them one at a time. These are the first three. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of sin. Right? So, verse 8, verse 9. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. Take that. Verse 9, He says, in what way? Concerning sin. And the reason is because they do not believe in Me. The primary thing that Jesus is describing here when He says, convicts the world of sin, is all that goes into not believing in Jesus. Rejecting Jesus. Remember the good news of John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Because Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. Those who believe in Him are not condemned. You remember what it says after that. Those who are who do not believe in the one and only Son of God. He says they're condemned already. All sin separates man from God, but the sin of unbelief prevents man from coming to faith in Christ and being saved because they refuse Jesus. And friend, there is no other name given among men by which we might be saved but the name of Jesus. The only one who can convict someone of their need of Jesus is the Holy Spirit, God Himself. God convicts the world of sin. And do you realize that every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? There's not a single perfect person on the planet. All of us born rejecting God, separated from God because of our 
sin. Romans 3 says that they're none righteous. And verse 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, God's righteous law, it says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every single person in this room is a sinner in need of a Savior. Galatians chapter 5 begins to describe sin in more detail. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then lumps it all together and says things like these. Friend, if you can't find yourself in that list, you've not, you've not compared yourself honestly with the, the, the word of the living God. Every one of us stand condemned. Transgression of the law. The things that God has commanded, His moral standard, or simply the practice of idolatry. That's where Romans 1 goes. It is to know that God exists and what He is like and some sense of what He requires. And it is to say, I would rather have myself. I would rather have my own way. I would rather choose the creation rather than the Creator. I would rather live the rest of my life serving me than Jesus. And this is what separates us from God. And the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit brings conviction about this. Brings it to light. Exposes it. So that there is clear and irrefutable evidence that we are sinners. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Verse 8 and into verse 10. So see these pairs here. Verse 8 says He will convict the world concerning righteousness. Right? In verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Right? We, we use the slogan, what would Jesus do? But we only have three and a half years of comparison. <laughs> There's so much more facing us today. Things like, how do you live on social media? <laughs> What political persuasions do you have? How do you help your children when they face issues that weren't even there in Jesus' day? Oh, there's so much more. It's not that the work and ministry of Jesus is incomplete, it is perfect and finished, and yet the Holy Spirit continues taking that body of truth that God has given in His Word and continues to apply it to our hearts and lives and to convict us of what is good, what is righteous, what does live according to the standard of God's Word. God does only what is good. The beauty of this presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that He teaches us every single day 
as he takes what is Jesus and proclaims it to us. He brings to light, he exposes through irrefutable evidence that which is according to God's perfect standard. So many believers struggle with how do I please God in this area? And no doubt there are hard questions, but by and large, the Christian life is, is a beautiful revealing of God as he, as he, through His Holy Spirit, teaches us how to live. The problem in the Christian life is not we don't know what is righteous, but we don't always want to do what is righteous. David said, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And do you want to know how he was doing it? Psalm 51, the great confession of David. Listen to this. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from me, from, or hide your, your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, righteousness. How is he going to do that? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Romans 8 teaches us that we should live step in step every day, walking in the spirit of the living God. This is how we know what is righteous. By the way, this is a conviction for both the lost, who know what is right and refuse to do it, and the saved, who know what is right and have been compelled by His Spirit inwardly to obey. Third, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Judgment. Verse 8, again, he will convict the world concerning judgment. Verse 11 is the partner concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And man, I wish we had time to just dive in here. But listen, the Spirit of God convicts us, brings to light the reality of judgment, helps us to believe that it's true and that we will face judgment. And this is what the Bible teaches, that judgment is coming. Verse 18, whoever believes in him, this is again back in John chapter 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's a state that exists now. Already judged. First Peter chapter 4 says the time... Uh, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So that old lifestyle, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, and so on. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they, all who turn away from Christ towards sin, rejecting him, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Hebrews chapter 9, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been once offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, to, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. There is a coming day of salvation and judgment. And all those who trust in Jesus will be saved. And all of those who don't will be judged. 
but it's not just sinners. <laughs> Jesus says that the ruler of this world has already been judged. It's, it's again the same state. He is judged now. John chapter 12, we already saw this. Now this now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. John chapter 14, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Put butt in there, but he has no claim on me. Satan has already been condemned. He has already been judged. And you need only to go to Revelation chapter 20, the other book that John wrote. The other revelation, so to speak. And when he writes these words, he talks about the one who is cast into the pit and he is bound up for a thousand years. And then when he's let loose, he's thrown into the fire to burn forever and ever and ever. Sadly, along with all of those who reject Jesus. You see, sinners don't get away with sin. The enemy will not triumph over Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us that this is true. So much more to say here, but let me just say it's humbling. It's humbling that God has judged my sin in Christ. That He received my judgment so that instead of forever separated from God, I can live forever with God. Oh, turn. Turn and trust in Christ. There's one final piece here. One final point of conviction. And the word is not used, but the language is still there. The idea is still there. And that is the Holy Spirit convicts convicts the church of truth. It convicts the church of truth. Two word changes. Church... And truth. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, disciples, followers. You cannot bear them now. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know the real battle in this world? The real battle in this world is not a political battle and it is not a physical battle and it's not a cultural battle or any other battle you might think of in those terms. The real battle in this world is a battle for truth. And that battle begins in the hearts and minds of Christians. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, our battle is to bring down every false idea that exalts itself above Christ so that in the bringing down of those ideas as the Holy Spirit lays waste to those ideas and convicts the world of truth that people turn from what is dark to what is light, from what is false to what is true, from what will not save to what will save. This is the good news of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the hearts of believers. He's convincing us. He's convicting us of truth. Language like He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to speak on the authority of Christ. He's going to declare Christ's Word. This is not some subjective revelation where I heard from God one day. 
Although he does speak in that way, he speaks in that way with an anchor in his word when he does. God always speaks according to his word. And this is what the Spirit of God is doing in the church. He's solidifying truth so that as we think about sin and righteousness and judgment, we think rightly, truthfully. And as we engage a world who persecutes us for the very message we've been called to preach, we do so knowing that we have the truth and we stand there no matter what. Can I say to you this morning that there may be someone in this room who does not yet have the truth. Never been convicted about sin or about righteousness or about judgment, but this morning for the very first time you realize that you're a sinner separated from a holy God. That your life is not righteous, that you've not been serving the Lord, that your sin separates you from Him, and that judgment is coming. Today can I tell you that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free if you will give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will come and indwell you and you will be born again, saved and set free from your sin to serve Jesus for all of eternity and to know Him if you'll give your heart and life to Jesus. Believer, He's doing that in this room. Would you bow your heads right now? Would you pray for those around you? Some of you need to pray for your own hearts. Would you consider your life before God? Maybe... You're a follower of Jesus this morning and He is convicting you of an era of your life where man, you've just not been living righteously. You've been disobeying Christ. The relationship is strained. You know it in your worship. You know it in your prayer life. You, you don't want to open your Bible because the conviction is so heavy. And I want to just plead with you today. Believer, would you not fall away? Would you... Turn back to Christ today. Would you obey Jesus today? He saved you. Judgment has passed by you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you submit wholly to Him and serve Him with everything that you are? Others of you in this room, you're praying for the people around you who don't know Christ for the people who are going to move in near you who don't know Christ, for the people in our community. One out of two people in this community every day die without Jesus. Would you pray for them right now? Maybe come to this altar and ask the Lord to convict your heart and to show you who to speak to. Sin, righteousness, judgment, and truth. Father, I pray right now that you would move in this place and that you would lead us by your spirit into all truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me all across the room as people begin to move. The invitation begins. This altar is open. God speaks to your heart. You obey today. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com.
We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.